Welcome everyone to Mutuality Matters, gender theology for the gospel empowerment of men and women. I am Erin Moniz here with my fantastic co-host Blake Dean, and we are excited to be back with you for another episode on Mutuality Matters. Thank you again for listening. And Blake, let's just jump right in with Watch, Read, or Listen, because I know it's summer reading time. Mm. A lot has been going on. So what are you watching, reading, or listening to? And can I just say that I really have missed watch reader listen like because mm. we haven't been doing it as consistently because yeah. we've been we're kind of in a weird holding pattern and yeah. i'm like i was really excited to do watch reader listen this time you are i i believe you mentioned it a couple times on marco polo i did because aaron Monez, i'm reading something particularly for you i'm i am open i am Let's go. reading the play our town <gasps> i began last evening and i'm very excited about it thornton wilder okay you know that that play changed my life. That's why I'm reading it. Yeah. And 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 to be fair, like it's it's wonderful on paper, but like most plays, um one hundred percent. One hundred percent. The PBS special that uh Ooh. performs it is actually okay. the one I would recommend. It's probably the that. easiest one to get a hold of, but because it has no props, yeah, no no backdrops, no no um staging of any kind. This all well they're, they're costumes and that's it. Yeah. The whole thing. Just, ah, fantastic. So how is it so far? It's good. I literally began last night. So <laughs> I'm only a couple of pages in. I already I like that. the picture of the bareness of the stage and kind mm-hmm. of negotiating that. But I, um, yeah, I think one of the kindest things that, and I don't mean to be dramatic about this, but I didn't know that it would mean the world to me, yeah. is when you were like sick and you were like, I watched Princess Diaries too because I know you loved it. And I was like, oh, that's so kind. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that was so kind. So I was like, I, I, I've had our town on my shelf. And so I was like, well, it's time to read it. Well, this is the thing I love. If I find out like that people are into something and I want to know more about them and I want to like get into that or I hear them reference things over and over again, I will I will literally put those things in the queue, whether that's a movie or a podcast or a book, because I do. I really I love, love I love uh, just being able to connect with an, where another person is at yeah. with that stuff and learn more. It's one of the easiest ways to get Completely. to know people is to um, have them give you like three books or three yeah. albums or, you know, something, something that is meaningful to them. So wonderful. I cannot wait to hear. I'm very excited. I'll keep you posted. And I actually have a second one. Okay. Oh yeah. Fire away. And I have a podcast that I'm not done listening to, but it's really okay. good. It was produced by Serial in the New York times. It's mm. called the improvement Inso- association. Have you heard of this? No. Okay. So it's about, Ooh, it's either North or South Carolina. I think it's South Carolina, but don't quote me on that. Okay. It's called the Appro- Improvement Association because mm-hmm. there is a um, a pack, a political action committee um, that exists um, that is called the whatever county Improvement Association. And it's a group of black um, leaders in the community who come mm-hmm. together and basically endorse candidates for, um, for whatever local office oh, wow. is being run for. And um, there's kind of a understanding that even though it's either north or south carolina sorry um even though like maybe we wouldn't think um that our black friends have the most power up there um in this community they do and so if the pack endorses it that person typically gets elected wow but the podcast is about the only verified mass conspiracy of election fraud that's happened in the last 80 years but it's about the racial dynamics that happened around it because it was actually um a group of um we have evidence that a group of um white republicans kind of 
um, committed some pretty heinous acts of election fraud. But in the trial, pointed fingers at this political action committee saying, well, no matter what they've done, no matter what the Republicans have done or no matter what these white people have done, yeah, that the, the Improvement Association, we know, has done so much worse, even though there's not evidence for it. Oh, so wow. there's all of these racial dynamics and power dynamics and political dynamics and it's excellent reporting it's really fascinating i recommend it the improvement association oh my gosh i'm intrigued it's very good and it's only like six episodes yeah you know i've been getting more i'm, I'm sort of a chronic podcaster as you know i follow the ones that have like ones that come out that are like 300 episodes in it's like the full gamut um but i do have two podcasts and one of them is more along that vein oh. and i'm actually finding that that style of podcast very it's, interesting. It's so interesting. I'm actually getting sucked in. I kind of see what everyone's been talking about. But so my watch reader listen is two different podcast wrecks. Um, so the first one is I've been catching up on the Pass the Mic series oh, yeah. from uh, The Witness, and I've been going through their Leave Loud. Yeah. And that's that's some intense stuff. Like I love I love Jamar Tisby and Tyler Burns and um, Ali. Uh, oh, her last name escaped me. Henny, Haney, I think it's, I think I'm getting close there, but um, they're, they're all part of the witness and their stories mm. are so interesting. You know, I'm always trying to find ways to talk with students about their own journey into church and like what to be looking out for. And the question of what's, how do I discern a healthy church? How do yeah. I discern a good church versus when, a bad or, church? Or when is it time to leave? And when is that just me being Yes, picky? yes, exactly. And these are all super important questions that are especially important to emerging adults because they're right on the cusp of that and making those choices and trying to find good material and mm. trying to just collect some of these stories, I think is, is incredibly valuable. It's also very heartbreaking yeah. because of some of the experiences that they relay, but, um, but important, important yeah. to be heard. Um, the other one I'm listening to is uh, from the group Gangster Capitalism. And I hadn't found them, but I'm on Twitter and Karen Swallow Pryor, of who course, I love. The notorious KSP. The, the notorious KSP. She, um, she's actually on this podcast for a couple of episodes, but they are taking this gangster capitalism the the podcast is taking this entire season to talk about liberty university and jerry falwell and of course karen swallow Pryor worked there right. for a lot of the time that they're talking about and Yikes. she recommended the podcast and saying while this is incredibly heartbreaking and devastating to listen to it is also very true um now wow. some of our listeners know i'm an lu grad I got yeah. my um, seminary degree there. Now, I did distance learning, and I did it just prior to. So I was sort of in that quiet phase in between Falwell Sr. Mm. and when Falwell Jr. really started speaking about politics. So I was kind of in sort of the quiet phase where it was just university. Most of my students didn't even know Liberty University when I first wow. um, started working here at the college. Now um, we do. But now they do. Now everybody does. But uh, but so I can't I can't speak to that firsthand. But as an active alum, I have followed a lot of this over the years because, again, you have a nice piece of paper from this institution and you don't want it to just be run into the ground. But we also have to be really honest about yeah. some of the things that happen in our institutions. And so gangster. it's gangster capitalism oh. and it is whoo okay. i'm 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 enjoying the way they do the investigative journalism it's, so it's really thorough yeah. but it is also just gnarly, gnarly. yeah yeah Dang. but that's but it's yeah it's it's good it's interesting we've been listening to them as they've been coming out 
Okay, I literally just subscribed to it as you talked to <laughs> as it. As we're sitting here, yes. I literally was like, I subscribed. So I am very excited about what we're going to talk about today. Oh, yeah. Because I think it is something that I know both of us have wanted to talk about for a while, but maybe just hadn't, um, it hadn't worked itself into the schedule and we didn't have a guest to do it. So this kind of interim where it's just you and I yeah. riffing is kind of the perfect time to talk about it. Not because we're experts nope. about impoverished women. Disclaimer. We're not. Mm. We um, simply know how to Google and pray. Yeah. We are research people. And so I'm excited to talk about it. And I think while it's very clear why this is important to a conversation about mm-hmm. gender theology, I think it also is worth saying that it, it, women and poverty and the way that gender and poverty intersect and particularly how we respond to that not only theologically but also embodied as Christians yeah, um, is really underplayed, particularly in ways that it is close to us, the ways that it is present in our own communities, in our own neighborhoods, yes. in our own cities. I think um, we as Christians have a really, because of the Great Commission and mm-hmm. because of an emphasis on missions and evangelism, with which I am great with. I feel great about it when it's not colonialism. Um, <laughs> I feel great about it. We do. We do feel great. When it's not when colonialism. When it's not colonialism. Yeah, exactly. Um, we're going to get in so much trouble this oh, episode. But it's our podcast. It's going to be super fun. No, I, I will. I'll tell you, Big Dean, just because I, I know we're, we're diving in here, but it's, it's true that I feel like there's this really intentional uh, commission to Christians that we have to keep reminding ourselves of, keep reminding each other of. Really? I went to a huge beautiful well-attended church that literally was built in the center of a highly impoverished area in our yeah. town and the surrounding neighborhood that literally horseshoed the parking lot yeah um i actually had a family member that yeah. lived in that neighborhood that we almost never saw or interacted with and i remember going to church as a young person and wondering why our church just seemed to mm pretend these people didn't exist like oh, nobody from our church lived in that neighborhood get me started on the way we construct churches oh and and that was my first and that of course i was young and i was starting to piece things together but i feel like as a as a, as a white christian who yeah. comes from resources and all kinds of privilege yeah. it is so easy to keep turning my face away to keep turning my face well, away from these communities be, wow this isn't what i expect to talk about and to be fair because of redlining zoning Mm -hmm. gentrification right and the way development works in most places and the advent of suburbs right it's not even always a conscious choice but it's something that a lot of us don't actually come face to face with often um because we have to intentionally there's poor parts of the neighborhood and there's more Mm -hmm. affluent parts of um the city or the city rather and i wow yeah, Shane, so many Shane Claiborne has this. Uh, so many thoughts. Pulls from uh, Eugene Peterson's interpretation of scripture in the message, where in, in John it talks about, you know, Christ came and dwelt among us and moved into the neighborhood. I actually really hate that translation. But what I love about the way that um, some people interpret it is this idea of being with, totally. that idea of coming and centering down in the midst of the right. people for whom. Um, you're not you could easily dissociate um and i and that's that to me is it's a constant conviction that i have to keep coming back to and i think to circle back to what why what are we doing talking about this in a podcast about gender theology i think it's really apparent why we're talking about it Mm. 
But I also want to add, and perhaps at the risk of being too simplistic, which is much like both our secular feminist sisters and brothers and like other justice movements in the church, there are times and moments where we forget the most vulnerable among us as we seek to write injustice within yeah. our own walls yeah we and, tend to skirt poverty we tend to romanticize correct poverty. and i and i do this and we yeah, do this guilty. and we have two seasons of a podcast that do this to a certain extent yeah. right? All right and yeah, so absolutely. we're so i'm excited to get to explore this today and i mm-hmm. also think it's particularly prescient not only theologically but also socioculturally which embeds itself in our theology because we are coming out of a pandemic yeah and I was um, doing some research for today's episode, and I stumbled across the um, the Secretary General of the UN um, UN's Women's Commission, um, or at the Women's Commission rather, said COVID nineteen is a crisis with a woman's face. And here's why the Secretary General said that seventy percent of the world's healthcare and frontline workers are women. Women occupy most of the most of the jobs in the sectors that were the hardest hit during the pandemic. Yeah. And 24% of women are more were more likely to lose their job during the pandemic than before. Add on top of this, increased domestic and unpaid childcare mm. and responsibilities with children being at home. Add on top of this, what the UN's Women Commission called the shadow epidemic of increased violence against women Mm-hmm. and domestic violence against women because of stay-at-home orders. Now, we know domestic violence happens to both women and men, but disproportionately... Disproportionately to women. To women. Yeah. And so um, sitting in kind of our moment um, and coming out of this pandemic, I think women in poverty and vulnerable women in poverty um, is something worth exploring, not to be like a statistics machine but i think it's important to know that our image both the representation of and i think our understanding of poverty is often um a man panhandling on the side of the road i think that's where we most most of us that live in kind of affluent spaces engage the most with poverty um particularly maybe especially white affluent people this is where we will engage the most with poverty yeah and um I think it's worth saying that actually, statistically, women of nearly all races and ethnicities have higher poverty poverty rates. Oh yeah, here's let men. me let me throw some stats at you from before COVID. Mm. So, women make up the majority of the world's poorest people. They own one percent of the world's land. They earn ten percent of the world's income. Eight hundred and seventy-five million of them don't know how to read or write. Every two minutes, one dies during pregnancy or childbirth. One in three will be beaten or sexually abused in their lifetime, and 39,000 girls become child brides every day. In America, American Indian, Native Alaskans, Black women, and Latinas are two times more likely to be poor than white women. Mm. One in four unmarried mothers live in poverty. At age five, the poverty rate is higher among women for the rest of their lives. By the time women turn five, they are more likely to be in poverty than their male counterparts for the rest of their lives. And perhaps most presciently, or most importantly, a fourth to over a half of homeless women 
reported domestic violence as the immediate cause for their impoverishment. And there it is. And so this is so this is where we sit. Yeah. And I think although there are certainly ways that other conversations about gender theology inform this, and this mm-hmm. is kind of the background for what we talk about, I want to bring it forward to say, let's start here and talk about what we do with this theologically. I don't want to overly intellectualize this conversation because we're talking about real people with real needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd, I'm at the end of the conversation, we can talk about some ways that all of us can engage both really, yeah. like really, really practically. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to talk first about the biblical witness, about yeah. poor women particularly. Yeah. And I would like to just reiterate that it, poverty, I think, is, is is a prime ingredient in in, in all of our discussions right. about gender disparity, gender theology. Race. It's like I once, um, I, I don't cook much or bake well, but I remember one time trying to, I, I was making cookies and I forgot flour. Um, that was bad, bad cookies. When yeah, you try to make bad. cookies without flour, you don't get anything. But it's like, I feel like there's sometimes these essential ingredients, these like foundational ingredients that like, this is a part of everything. And when I do, um, I do a curriculum on Christianity and social justice, I always start with poverty and I do a section on poverty, I do a section on violence yeah. because those undergird so much else that we end up talking about in terms of disparities. And it just, a lot of times just links back. And exponentializes already existing disparities, right? Because yes. of course we care about justice and flourishing for men that are living oh, 100%. in poverty. Yes. It's unjust and evil, mm-hmm. period, exclamation point. Yeah. But the thing that I, I want to tease out both theologically and socioculturally today, and maybe as a call to action, is how already existing disparities against women and maybe more particularly women of color. Right, right. Um, our Native, Latinx, and African-American sisters. Those already existing disparities are exponentialized by poverty. Mm-hmm. And so the disparities already exist, systems of oppression already exist, and are then exponentialized. And I think something that is so interesting and so beautiful, but I think easy to miss in our reading of scripture is how concerned the writers of both the Old and New Testament, both the prophets and Jesus. Wait, who? Jesus Jesus. Christ. Jesus. (laughs) Your Lord and Savior is about poverty. Yeah. But also for the sake of our conversation, poor women. Yes. I would point to the numerous places in the Old Testament that shows particular concern for the health of a community based on its care for its orphans and its widows. And I think it's easy for us. Widows mean something very particular to us in our particular mm-hmm. context, um, which we may think of those that are grieving the loss of their spouse and grieving the loss of the life that came with it and a particular sense of poverty. And I don't want to disparage that at all. Mm-hmm. But in the context of the Old Testament and the prophetic books that are writing with concern to this, and even the Torah, yeah. when it's talking about it, being a widow not only was a personal and emotional journey, but also an economically fraught one. Yes. Economics came through the husband and man in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And the the family was an economic yeah, in, in society. System. Yeah, yeah. Everything in, in Carolyn Custis James and her work on Ruth. Um, she's got two books out on this and the under understanding the the full disenfranchisement of widowhood and poverty is the backdrop that helps us understand 
the story of Ruth and Naomi. Cool. Like it, it is, come on, it is everything. Um, but but when we're talking about when widows pops up in scripture, um, when Deuteronomy fourteen talks about you know the poor being among you and 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 the law about existing in a society with poverty, um, understanding that access to resources, if you because of your gender, yeah, because because of your chromosomes, you are ultimately set up to not be able to access any resources unless you do it through a male whether that is a son or some other kind of relative without those you're just you're done and so that's why in the vision of the old testament it's important for the community to care for orphans and widows yes it's not just for emotional care or how we would maybe think about shut-ins or although all of that is really important important, and some of the best ministry that's happening right now but back then it's because there's an those are the poor among them mm-hmm. and poor women widows are particularly vulnerable to economic lack and um i think i'm so glad you brought up ruth because i think this is somewhat somewhere i'd love to actually explore in a future episode and bring someone on much smarter than us we are to yeah. explore this which is um we often read Ruth as this really romantic love story. And I think that while I, there are many ways to, there are, (laughs) there's a prism of things to glean from the library of scripture and to learn from the Holy spirit as we study scripture. I, um, so I say rock on you do you, as long as we also understand that Ruth is also a conversation about economics Mm-hmm. And what it means to love and welcome the stranger and the poor. Yeah, it's it's time we completely release the Ruth and Esther stories from their Disney princess. Don't get me aura. started on Esther. <laughs> I know, right? We can't go there. But, you know, sex trafficking. Um, And and then, yeah, with Ruth, it's being able to truly understand that is is um essential to to understanding she's gleaning from story. the edges of the field of boaz yeah. because she is no in food. some senses zero food unlike a lot of our poor sisters has actually chosen to be poor out of loyalty mm-hmm. to naomi in solidarity so not only is boaz i'm thinking off the top of my head here not only is boaz a picture of hospitality to the most vulnerable ruth actually is such a beautiful example of that yeah to say she reminds me of Dorothy Day in a little bit to be mm-hmm. like a releasing of the life that she could have had and could have easily had to live in solidarity with this woman that she loved, but also was in a precarious social situation. And and that brings up such, I think, an important kind of caveat here is is that poverty in and of itself has a spectrum. You've got people who choose poverty. You have people who who choose to live in in minimalist settings or non materialistic. You have you have people who are very and religious. And that's Dorothy Day, right? Exactly. Not so, not in a laziness way, but no. as a sense of calling and faithfulness yes. and solidarity mm-hmm. with those who are on the other end of the spectrum, which make up the majority of the world's poor. Yeah, that can't make that choice. And there are there are parts of poverty that. Are worth exploring in the sense of being able to live in a, in a certain distance from materialism. I think there's opportunities for spiritual growth and development there, but I don't want to romanticize poverty, but I don't want to shame it either because there's a lot, half of America, according to the Census Bureau, lives below the poverty line. And so we want to talk about 
poverty most of which are women yes we want to talk about poverty and how it relates to women not because poverty is good bad per se depending on how things are going it is because inevitably no matter whether you chose it or not you are vulnerable it oh. heightens vulnerability and vulnerability again not like bad or good thing because there's aspects and diane lamberg is the person who speaks eloquently on this but um vulnerability in and of itself can can be can be bad or also can be good can be can be virtuous or, or vicing and um but either way it's there either right. way it's there and from that vulnerability is where we get a lot of the disparities and the violence and the the, the problems that uh, women have both locally and globally so just want to focus on like that's the point of poverty that we're really hitting is Correct. it creates vulnerability and i think this is a perfect segue into what the insanity that jesus offers and instructs his followers in their relationship to the poor among them amen because here is not what jesus says it's not be kind and give some money there's two places that i really would like to just kind of briefly hit on that i'm still working out with fear and trembling in my own life of what this would actually look like um and again i think if dorothy day was in front of me she would probably say you talk a big talk but <laughs> put your put your money in your body where your mouth is well i just want a t-shirt that says be kind and give money not jesus like that's all i want <laughs> not jesus not jesus i but there's so there's two two places in the gospels and there's certainly so many more one that i find particularly striking is in luke 21 the story of the poor widow's might. If mm. you remember this story, Aaron. I do. I do. We actually have a widow's might like on a painting in our wall in our house. Oh. Yeah. An Wait, actual widow's might. It's in the room actually behind you where we're recording. Oh. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll like take a picture and oh, yeah. post and, it and on and our Instagram. Us. Oh yeah, we love that. Um watch us not do that and totally forget, but I just said it on the podcast. If we forget, we're sorry. Imagine a widow's might. So if you don't remember the story, go look it up. It's in Luke 21. But basically, it's this contrast of this poor widow, the text says, brings a singular mite, a small amount of money. The smallest. All she has. And sets it as an offering before the Lord. Um, and then in contrast, a rich person brings um, much more money. And yet Jesus says this poor widow has put in more than all. And the thing I love about this passage that I think I'm still working out um, prayerfully and um, in my own apprenticeship to Jesus is this poor woman is first and foremost in Jesus's view and in Jesus's telling not a source for our pity right. or even for the rich man primarily to help out financially because mm -hmm. he has more. Although I certainly think that is a part of the biblical ethic regarding wealth and finances. Right. But primarily, this woman is actually a source of teaching the rich people who are reading, the Pharisees who are listening, me who is reading scripture years right. later. If you have two cars, you're rich. Um, mm -hmm. If you have a car, you're rich. Yeah. Um, and... In the sense of like compared to Global, other more like people living on people. trash heaps, yeah. Um, not to minimize anyone's need, yeah. But um, but this woman becomes an icon of sorts, and I mean mm -hmm. icon in the theological sense, becomes a way of seeing what faithfulness looks like, what grace looks like, 
what following Christ looks like, which is giving up all to him, even if it's this single might. And people are scoffing at her because she has so little to give. And of course, Jesus, having done this already so many times, flips that on his head because he's like, no, that's what I want. I like she is giving all. And even though it feels like so much less, it is actually more. And also it like the meagerest and the smallest and the least are actually the greatest in the kingdom. And And I think it's easy. It's easy for us. It's easy for me to over-spiritualize this. And so it loses its concreteness Mm -hmm. to go, oh, well, no matter what I give, if it's my all, then it's the Lord. And that's certainly true, but it's secondary in its truth. The primary image is of a vulnerable, poor person teaching the rich what faithfulness looks like. Yes. Now, this does not mean that every poor poor person is a saint walking among us. Right. But it actually means something more complicated, which is for those of us that have wealth, that have money, that have resources, that have privilege, this conversation maps so well onto racial disparities onto socioeconomic disparities over other disparities of power. But for those of us that have resources, wealth, and privilege, we learn from our poor brothers and sisters what it means to be followers of Christ. And more mm-hmm. so, in Matthew 25, Christ says, not only do you, do you learn what humility is, there you will find me, which I think is absurd. It is. And, and that's the upside down kingdom. It's deeply absurd yeah. to say that in those people who are just as broken and simple as we are, yet have more need and are more vulnerable. And the systems, I can't believe we haven't said this up until this point, we have systems that keep them in poverty. Yes. There you will find Christ. in Not with them. If yeah. you have given food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, visited the one in prison, you have done so to me. Yeah. What? So not only do we have the poor widow as a source of theology as an as an iconic representation of what faithfulness and humility looks like that confounds the rich that confounds yeah. the wealthy that confounds those with resources and privilege but at the same time that doesn't lessen our responsibility to our neighbors christ ups the ante on it and goes yeah. no, no no it's not just that you belong to each other it's that you belong to me and i am there so go find me yes and that's that is truly astounding which i I don't know if we have the time to unpack all that, but one thing I want to point to in continuing to sort of reference the widow's might is Jesus sees her material wealth and what she has and says, no, no, that is not what makes her valuable. Her value is intrinsic because of me. Like he, mm-hmm. he, he elevates that. And, and one thing that uh, we were, we were talking about just before we hit the record button is a lot of times what happens to women in vulnerable situations, usually brought on by poverty and and, and sort of patriarchy sort of mixed into the system, is uh, Elaine Storkey talks about this in Scars Across Humanity, a book we highly recommend, but she's talking about um, child brides and she's talking about people being being sold at a very young age and sort of the the economic exchange that happens in many countries uh, with marriage. And so what we're looking at is Instead of Jesus looking at this woman and measuring her by her by her material wealth and and gives her intrinsic value, um, like he does with so many other women in Scripture, intrinsic value because of who she is, what what our sort of broken system does instead is that we turn women into commodities. Yeah. So yeah. instead of seeing them as intrinsically worth 
um, so much despite their poverty or in, in lieu of their poverty, um, we actually turn women into currency. Correct. We turn them into an exchangeable good, not just objectifying them, but certainly objectifying them, but objectifying them as now the reduced to the thing that we are using for our own gain. And from that, we, we see so much violence and injustice and like child brides and um, a diminishing female education and things mm. like that. And I would say, I think it's also worthwhile to say, as we have an eye globally, we also have an eye locally. Mm -hmm. And um, while certainly the United States has some more protective systems against child labor and sex trafficking, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I would also say that there are also some really particular gendered issues economically that um, deeply affect women among us. I would point to two particularly. Go. One is the report in Georgia, I believe it was last year, of refugee women who claimed that they were forcibly sterilized in what they were presented as, mm -hmm. like, like standard procedures. Um, and I, I, I want to pay attention to whatever initially comes up to what we think about that, right? Right. Which is refugee women were forcibly sterilized sterilized without their consent or without their, their consent mm -hmm. and then i would also say on another end of the spectrum there's a article in vice that i think is really good um it's called pregnant amazon employees speak out against speak out about nightmare at oklahoma warehouse four amazon employees at a facility in oklahoma city described systemic failure on the part of the company to accommodate pregnancy restrictions forcing some workers to risk miscarriage and others to the brink of homelessness mm. Motherhood is a aspect that also is kind of like hovering over the waters of Indeed. this conversation. Yeah. Um, and um, not because all women are mothers and not because all poor women are mothers or will be mothers. Right. But because um, sex has different implications for women than it does for men. Yes. Um, and I think I find that Amazon story so compelling mm. because it's deeply connected to our own appetites yes right yes and i want to say this it is so hard to stop shopping from amazon it is so hard not to get two-day delivery there are so many moments where i'm like i need this tomorrow yeah i forgot this gift and i have got to have this gift tomorrow but i'm working yeah. on it yeah i'm Keep, working on keeping it. it true keeping it true and 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 this is what really is the the whole bugaboo about this is that uh if we want to get serious about gender theology we have to get serious about poverty if we're going to get serious about poverty we have to get serious about consumer ethics and oh my that God. is a tangled web like like talking about child labor laws the one area in america where child labor laws do not apply and have never applied the loophole in American law that still allows child labor and has always allowed child labor is agriculture. Mm. So that tomato that you get at the local fast food restaurant on your burger is being picked by little kids exposed to dangerous chemicals. And so, like, so man, we, there's, it's such a tangled web. Yeah. Um, the, the history of sterilization, forced sterilization in this country with people of color, like, please go look that up because what happened to these immigrant women is not even the first, second, or third time. This is a policy America has had on the books 
it's an Ida B. Wells story. Just wanted to put that out there. Like, go go do your research and see how prevalent Fanny, Fanny this is. Fanny Lou Hamer was forcibly sterilized. Yes, yes, and it's it's a uh, it's one of those things where when we when we really get serious about this stuff, we have to take a hard look at our consumer ethics. And boy, yeah. like you said, it's it's you know everything on the spectrum from Amazon is so convenient to sometimes it is just really hard to know how to do this well. But dear listeners, I would just encourage you as we continue to encourage each other that we just start small. We start with something and we, but we do make intentional moves. We don't just get overwhelmed and paralyzed by the problem. And I would say, I mean, we've kind of, as we do, rambled a little bit. Rambled a little. Um, And so I want to end with some really practical things. But before I do that, I want to say this. Go. And I think you summarized this really well. So I just want to hit it again. Yeah. Which is, there are things that we're really passionate about. Women's ordination being one of them, equality in the home being mm-hmm. one of them, equality in the workplace being another one, yeah. understanding power dynamics, particularly in religious spaces, particularly yes. in Christian spaces, so because much. we think Christ is central to this. Amen. Another offshoot that we've really rambled through today is that Christ cares for the vulnerable, mm-hmm. not as co-opted by beautiful Instagram posts about Christ's care for the vulnerable, but actually in really radical ways. Yeah. In ways that should make all of us, liberal, conservative, activists, non-activists, deeply uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and assess our spending habits, assess our perspectives of our neighbors, particularly Mm -hmm. those that maybe don't fit the aesthetics that we would like them to fit. Yep. Um, and then to really sit and prayerfully assess what is our responsibility to our neighbors who Christ has said image him in a really particular way. Yeah. Um, it's going to work us over. Matthew 25. Let's yeah. all read it. Let's meditate. Let's pray about it. Let's figure it out. Yeah. So let's talk about some practical ways we can begin because I love that Aaron said, let's start small. Mm. Because I think something that I've experienced is I'm going, all right, I'm all in on fair trade. Let's do it. <laughs> ethically sourcing and then you start to buy everything ethically sourced everything fair trade knowing where everything comes from and you realize i'm exhausted from the amount of research that i had to do and not every company is very clear and apparent and when i need a spray bottle from walmart in two hours i just gotta go to walmart and get spray bottles so Mm -hmm. what i have begun to do personally because i've been becoming increasingly convinced about the speed at which I'm receiving things. Right. And um, we didn't even talk about ecofeminism. <laughs> oh, okay, that'll be another time. That's a whole other Stay thing. tuned, listeners. Ooh, did some of you just cringe? Did some of you cringe at that <laughs> I word? I can feel them. I can feel them. I, I kind of still do a little bit, even though I'm convinced about it. But that's okay. It's... We can have dissonance within ourselves. Absolutely. Um, Not only because of the impact on the environment, but also impact on the poorest among us, men and women alike. So what I'm trying to do is work on sections of my spending at a time. So for me, an easy one is books. Books is the majority of what I purchase from Amazon. It is true. And so shifting to one of two platforms. One is Thriftbook, which you're a patron of. Yes, we love Thriftbooks. The second is bookshop.org, which supports local independent bookstores, but kind of has a similar um, like a digital presence to Amazon where you can find books that maybe you couldn't find in your independent local bookstore. Yes. But by buying it, you're buying it from another bookstore. 
I love that. Elsewhere. I'm going to have to check that out because it's I great. try to be very discerning about what books I buy secondhand used because there are authors that I want to support, particularly the statistics of money that comes back to female yeah. authors and authors of color. Um, so I try to be very discerning. Yeah. And so that's a great, and, and this is it. Just, we're trying to take a 360 degree view yeah. that isn't inspired by shame, but is inspired by light and truth and love Agreed. and being called up to something better so that we can, we can say, <laughs> give our yes to uh, putting uh putting that, that, that Christ into the world. And we're not, I, I say this, we're not putting Christ in the world. Christ is there, but, but participating with the restorative work that Christ Correct. is doing. Better way. There it is. Better and, way to say uh, that. Better way to say that, and, and indeed. Um, but, you know, podcast is a live medium, so there we go. Um, no, it's not, but we treat it like one. We do, we do. We, we try to be 100% with you guys, and we do appreciate you hanging in this conversation with us and we would absolutely love your feedback even if it's critical guys like we got thick skin come on we love talking about this and so i'd love to give a couple more practical ways to help do it so switch your spending habits whether that's books whether that's coffee a couple more shout outs if you're gonna buy gifts for someone Mm -hmm. father's day is coming up i'm sure someone's birthday is around the corner if you need to buy gifts go check out mercy house global which works to i'm gonna read their Statement, Mercy House exists to engage, empower, and disciple women around the globe in Jesus' name, engaging those with resources to say yes to the plight of women in poverty, empowering women and teenage mothers around the world through partnerships and sustainable fair trade product development. So they have um, both an online store that they facilitate, but also can push you to other fair trade, ethically sourced products that are empowering women and young mothers around the globe that live in poverty. Second, I would say... Go check out Preemptive Love. They're Mm. always doing amazing work. And their store is filled with um, refugee-made products. We just bought a little baby um, toy that's a dog that's made by refugee women. And it's I love this. I feel like we're in charades and and you're like trying to get me to guess what the thing is. Baby, dog, refugee women. (laughs) And we love it. And we're very excited to give it to a friend of ours. Um, And so that's one way, right? Focus our spending. How can we really manageably work our way towards our dollar being the way that we also help to um, fight for justice in particular ways? Yes. Another way would be, and this is probably the most important to me, mm-hmm. which is find out who is working with poor people and then women in your community. Indeed. Look for the shelters in your town. Yes. The domestic violence relief in your town, the Mm -hmm. sexual assault centers in your town. Yep. The places that work with, um, if you have a clubhouse model that works with mental, people with mental illness. Yeah. Most of the time, mental, severe mental illnesses are really intersected. Yeah. With poverty. So much. So look for these organizations and find out how you can help both financially, 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 financially. They always need your financial support. But also financially. But also financially. But also, for your sake, figure out how you can show up. Figure out how you can be proximal to some of these people. Because like Jesus, we learn more about him from being proximal to the vulnerable. So go find those organizations in your own place. We know those organizations in our um, town, and there are so many. And so you got to choose one and get involved. But go get involved and make it a priority. Take your family. This is so good for your children. (laughs) It really is. And... Those are the two main ways I would say to be really practical. Um, 
about helping women in poverty. There's also amazing organizations doing things globally for women. And I would say if you are wanting to act locally and learn a bit more about what's happening globally, obviously preemptive love that we also mm-hmm. mentioned has that mm-hmm. global perspective, but the book Half the Sky is one that I would like to recommend. And a very similar book to Half the Sky, but from a Christian perspective is Elaine Storkey's Scars Across Humanity, yeah. which I mentioned earlier. Those two books top shelf great starters for really getting a grasp on the global plight of women other book resources i would say evicted it's a book about the housing crisis in america but if you don't understand the housing crisis you're not going to understand poverty in america right these systems that yeah, so really I put that out there as well thank you so much for bearing with us and we hope that you have been um encouraged challenged and inspired um we would love to receive your emails if you have questions or need help finding organizations around you we would love to help you do that and we are committed aaron and i to increasing the way that we um not only include the voices of those that are different from us but also the voices of people that would never ever be on a podcast and hopefully right. in our small fragile probably meandering and in certain ways foolish ways hopefully raise the concerns of our poor sisters and brothers around us um, and care for the poor because that is where Jesus could be found. Amen. <laughs>